Welcome back to episode four of the Time Monster in the Perpetual Outsider podcast. My name is John Bensalia. I'm armed with a cup of coffee because my voice is going a little bit croaky, actually. Um, if, if I'm carrying on like this, I'm going to end up in the podcast sounding like Louis Armstrong. So I hope that doesn't happen. But anyway, here we are with episode four. Um, don't forget, I, oh, I really hate plugging my, you know, my own... Uh, Patreon channel. Um, I'm I'm really rubbish at self-publicizing, so a uh, lot to learn about that. But anyway, um, I do have a Patreon channel. If you like, um, if you're more interested in uh, what I have to say about uh, the modern day Doctor Who, I don't really like the phrase "new Who" to be honest. But there you go. Um, if you like those, then um, just head on over to patreoncom forward slash Um The Rose commentary is already up there. Um, and hopefully by the time you hear this, uh, the end of the world commentary should be up there as well for um, uh, just three pounds a month. And uh, hopefully I'll be uh, going through the complete uh, Monday Doctor Who story from Christopher Eccleston through to Jodie Whittaker or through to um, uh, David Tennant and the uh, and also the new guy as well, um, Kuti Gatwa, which uh, um, hopefully... Um, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I might reach them by the time I finish these uh, these commentaries. Who knows? Maybe I'll be a shrewd old man or dead. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but anyway, without further ado, let's uh, let's get on with the time monster episode four. Counting down five, four, three, two, one. Here we go. Yeah. Sorry, I'd. Um, sounds like I had gloves on with that first click. I had the master's gloves. So, story so far. Master summoned Kronos. Kronos is running amok. The Master is now uh, wreaking havoc with uh, elements from the past to uh, annoy the unit troops to the point where he's dropped a bomb on Mike Yates and his friends. And uh, we've got that cliffhanger coming up right now. Grand finale will be, uh, well, grand beginning for this episode. Sounds like a motorbike, yeah. Doctor Mike and the the uh, the unit troops are about to be attacked by uh, Evil Knievel or Barry Sheen. I, I don't know. Was Barry Sheen around doing his motorcycle thing in nineteen seventy two? I don't know. Actually, comes to that was Evil Knievel. I, I don't know. I know. I know they were big in the mid seventies. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, like, like I said in the last episode, it's a good cliffhanger. cliffhanger. They um they've kind of rejigged it a little bit. They've they've trimmed a little bit of the dialogue out. I've got a theme they cut out um the brigadier's final panic cry of Mike. Are you are you all right? Can you hear me? Have they cut straight to Benton? Um, we're going to see that in a minute. I can't remember what they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they just they have the explosion and they cut straight to Benson trying to get through on the on the walkie-talkie. And they must have copped it. Yeah, John Levine again doing great work there. So this is the um, this is the uh, obligatory yokel, which sometimes they kind of introduce in early 1970s Doctor Who, because they had Pigbin Josh, 
in the cause of Axos. Um, the, yeah, there's the Tramp and Planet of the Spiders. He's just settling down for a crafty power nap. And you got this guy who's the uh, the uh, the the farmer who uh, very uh, very kindly helps uh, get the TARDIS back on her feet. And of course, Mike Yates hasn't copped it after all, but he do he does look in quite a bad way. So unfortunately, he's uh, he's out of the equation. Yeah, I, I don't think he appears in the uh, the story anymore. Yeah, this was uh, this this was the final episode to feature all of the uh, the regulars at that point because of you know you've got John Pertwee, Katie Manning, Nicholas Courtney, Roger Delgado, John Levine, Richard Franklin, all in the one episode. Um, after that, they you know they appear separately. Uh, most of the team would be. Uh, together, but no, this is the uh, the last time they'd all be in the same episode. So, uh, was it the beginning of the end? I, I don't know. But like I said before, I I, I really like the uh, the unit family. A, a great a great a great time for Doctor Who, and uh, and audiences were doing incredibly well at the time. I think um, you know they were, they were getting about. I'm not sure what the ratings were. I've got a feeling they could have been lower because uh, they went out in the summer months, and of course, you know, good weather wouldn't have you know enticed viewers to stick around. But certainly by the end of the year, they were getting view, viewing figures of about 10 million, which was which was incredible. I mean, they were certainly uh, doubling what um, the end of Patrick Troughton's run was, you know, for sure. Which I think would only manage to get about five million views, maybe less actually. Uh, by the end of the war game. So Barry Letson had certainly turned things around. And again, I, I, I can't stress enough how much of an asset Barry Letts was to Doctor Who. I mean, not only did he come up with, you know, these great, great adventures from the third Doctor's year, he also, you know, he was also responsible for coming up with uh, casting like Roger Delgado, Tom Baker, Elizabeth Sladen, so many of these, you know, Brilliant actors and actresses that um, that would appear in Doctor Who. Katie Manning, of course. How on earth can I miss out Katie Manning? Um, just um, a, a brilliant, you know, pivotal figure in Doctor Who history. If I, that doesn't sound too pompous. God, it's all very well me going on about how you know other people and other characters are up their own arse. God, I can, I can certainly give them a run for their money. Uh, yeah, here's, here's Joe, still with that wretched tardy sniffer out on which just looks... <laughs> How on earth they, they managed to keep a straight face while recording this, I don't know. But we're we're about to move into um, a, a new phase of the story, which is kind of like this battle of wills between the Doctor and the Master. It's kind of like on a, on a bigger scale than the, uh, the rigging up an experiment with tea leaves and wine bottles and wine bottle openers. You know, it's, it's more to do with uh, the TARDIS, which in a way is actually preempting uh, uh, Logopolis nine years later, because they do a kind of similar thing with with the TARDIS inside the TARDIS, and you know this battle of wills between the Doctor and the Master. I like that little jingle from Dudley Simpson there. Yeah, Dudley starting to move away from the uh, the electronica of the previous year. He's now. Starting, you know, he's it's still there, but he's starting to use more kind of conventional instruments, like you know, sort of a, it's more kind of traditional percussion in this. You know, you've got the timpani drum, and you've got uh, you know, sort of uh, cymbals and drums and uh, extra percussion. So it's moving away, but he wouldn't use the uh, 
the traditional or orchestration until Carnival of Monsters again, which was in the next season, which I have to say, I, I think works better. But um, yeah, this does feature some uh, some nice music cues, actually. So got the concept of time ram. And all I can picture is the, the Paul McCartney album. You know, like an outer space um, intergalactic version of a Paul McCartney album, Ram, which was um, which was out a year before this went out. I don't know why I thought just think of stupid things like that rather than uh... Oh, that's that that's no, I th I think this is lovely. I love the banter between the, doc, the third Doctor and Joe. It's, you know, they're at a real kind of, you know, they're building up a really strong relationship. That's the last we see of George Lees, the yokel, uh, who replaced Kenneth Watson, apparently. Kenneth Watson, who would appear as Doug in, in The Wheel in Space. He, I've, I, I, I don't know the reason why he dropped out, but he was... Um, he was replaced at the last minute by uh, by George Lee, who had also been in Doctor Who before as uh, Forbes in uh, Spearhead from Space, who uh, also met a sticky end. He was the driver who uh, who crashed his Jeep into a tree after seeing an auto and uh, was covered in tomato ketchup for his pains. But I mean, I mean, if, if you really want to go with uh, out there fan fiction, maybe he did live to survive another day and just uh, lost his memory and became a trap and became a farmer instead and you know sort of repaired his face I don't know who knows again there's a big finish uh, spin-off dying to be explored and again you heard it first copyright here John Bensalia right uh, let, let's talk about the uh, the, <laughs> the TARDIS interior um, which is a pure one-off Tim Gleeson was the designer for this story, and for some reason he puts um, these great big, what looks like washing up bowls on the on the TARDIS walls, and it looks very groovy in nineteen seventies. But uh, I can I can understand why they uh, they didn't carry on with this design because it just looks a bit a bit odd. Yeah, we don't, we don't really get to see the interior of the TARDIS a great deal in the uh, John Pertwee years. For, for obvious reasons, because he's been exiled to Earth and, you know, he, he, he doesn't go gallivanting around time and space like he used to. But, um, yeah, off the top of my head, he... One, two... I think, yeah, I think there's only eight stories. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I think there's only eight stories where, where we actually see the interior of the TARDIS during the John Herbie years. And of course, here you got the Master's TARDIS, which is, uh, which is not painted black like it would be in, uh, in the mid-80s. And it's, instead, the only thing that marks it out is, uh, is a different co central console. You've got what, what looks like um, um, a food mixer in the middle. Whereas you've got the salad bowl in the middle of uh, the Doctor's uh, TARDIS console. Yeah, we're, we're getting the uh, yeah the TARDIS one in the TARDIS, like you know the Russian doll effects, like you get in the uh, in Logopolis. I think I think it was probably done with a little bit more drama in uh, in Logopolis. I think you know because 
you know, there was that sense of doom with the uh, the Fourth Doctor's impending regeneration in that. Here, it's kind of it's more like a an amusing diversion, I think. It's it's just a way to pad out the story. Um, yeah, I mean, if if I had to be honest, I, I think this is quite a padded episode, isn't it? It's not really a great deal that progresses the episode, you know. You know, I mean, it's it's merely a battle of wits between the Doctor and the Master. There's not really a, a great deal that gets the Doctor from A to B, you know, or from, from Earth to Atlantis. We don't really get to, to that until the next episode. And poor old Briggs out of the, uh, the equation for most of the episode now. He's been slowed down in... Uh, in some kind of time force field, him and his uh, unit chums. Oh dear, that's, that's a bit of an old cliche, isn't it? You know, they won't stop me now. But the moral of the story here, don't ever hire Stuart Hyde as a companion because he would be useless. I mean, he completely botches the escape of the master. He's a liability. He um, comes up with stupid phrases. He has stupid hair, uh, stupid moustache. I mean, imagine him facing off against, you know, Omega and the Three Doctors of War. I imagine him trying to, um, you know, confront the Drashies and the Carnival of Monsters. He'd be, he'd be useless. I mean, he'd, he'd probably faint at the sight of a, a Drashie, no doubt. Yeah, you just let him go, you fool. <clears throat> Good wobbly uh, spaceship action there from Casey Manning and uh, John Pertwee. Yeah, what is the deal with the whole coccyx thing and the tailbone? Because I'm sure I read somewhere that they weren't allowed to say coccyx because it sounded a bit rude, but uh, he's just said it twice. <clears throat> this is this is another good um, good episode for Benton. Actually, he kind of uh, he carries quite a lot of the action. He's kind of like um, he's almost dare I say it. He's actually like a substitute doctor because these two clowns clearly don't know what's going on they're too busy bickering among themselves so it's left to benson to kind of be the uh the voice of reason and i, th I think you know by now i think they've clearly seen the potential of john Levine. actually um he's uh like i said before he's, he's a good underrated actor and he uh they clearly saw the potential in him um after he made his appearance in the invasion with, uh, with Patrick Chowson, I think he was just a one-off character. But I can understand why they brought him back and they used him more, and he'd become like a, he'd become a stalwart of a John Pertwee years. And no, he's, he's good in this. Yeah, you've only just noticed that the Brigadier's stuck? I keep having that little uh, musical jingle every every time they, uh, they see the Brigadier and co stuck outside. Oh, Uh, excuse me, coffee. Ah, I do make a damn good cup of coffee, even better than Samuel Pepys. <clears throat> man of decision. Oh, obligatory man reference there from from Ruth. 
They're still stuck. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> they should have done that as a comedy interlude between each scene, you know. Oh, the, the Doctor and Joe could be chatting inside the TARDIS. Mm, I wonder what's happened to the Brigadier. And they cut to the Brigadier and Co. being stuck going. <laughs> yes, I'm not really sure about the, the TARDIS scanner. They, I think they did the same trick in the Curse of Peladon episode one, which was just a circle. But it, it does look a little bit duff. Um, yeah, but the Doctor tends to um, experiment a lot with uh, with scanner screens, I think. You know, obviously he didn't go down to the local hardware store and get a, a local telly, but he would for the next story, Three Doctors, because that's more of a conventional TV. And of course, we're worlds apart from the, uh, the one we get in the uh, in from the Tom Baker onwards, which is you know like a, the conventional scanner screen. That's just a the one we get here is just a weird circle. So it, it is a battle of wits between the master and the doctor because um, you know the the master's coming up with ways to um, silence the doctor. Here he's just switched him off and muted him. Which, which um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people do these days on um, on um, online interviews. I mean, they, you know, I mean, wouldn't it be great? I mean, I'm, I'm sure many people who are interviewed by the likes of Richard Maley or Piers Morgan would love to do what the master is doing here to the Doctor, you know, amusing him or make them talk backwards, which, to be honest, I think would probably make more sense for Maley and Morgan, really. I, I think... Speaking backwards gibberish could actually uh, make more sense when they speak conventional English. Thraskin and Plinge, I wonder, are they real, are they real concepts or are they just purely made up? I don't know. Guess who's done his homework? Plinge. <laughs> See, it's, it's more kind of light-hearted banter. It's none of the kind of abrasive argy-bargy that we had in. I mean, you compare this to, say, Terror of the Autons. Actually, compare it to the Demons the year before. And the, do the Doctor is, what? yeah, you could, be, you could call it actually quite unpleasant towards Joe. You know, he's, he's certainly not polite. Um, and where there it's, you know, abrasive arguments, here it's just gentle, it's just gentle teasing, it's gentle banter. They've, they've really settled into a nice groove here. Ah, coffee. I've got a feeling there's going to be another for the Brigadier again. Because Benton is about to regress back to being a baby, I think. Yeah, they don't, they don't really make it that obvious um, what's happening. I mean... John Levine pulls a funny face there, that sort of, uh, you know, like he's sort of freezing or whatever. But there is there is a nice uh, video effect here. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Very sort of the pops, that kind of, um, you know, sort of black and white video effects. We used to do that in the 70s. Oh, the 70s is great for uh, TOTV video effects. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. The Brigadier and Co. is still frozen. Um, so nothing's happened, but of course, Benton is now back to being a baby. Ah, 
Baby Benson. So now the master is back to uh, make the doctor speak backwards. Yeah, they really could do with um, the TARDIS audio being uh, a bit better, actually, because it's very crackly for some reason. I mean, whatever hardware store they went to for these monitor screens, they really should have got a refund. And I presume they did, you know, because it's not, it's not the same after this story. Yeah, they, they used this clip on um, um, Who's Doctor Who, which was a documentary in 1977. And they at that point, they only had a black and white copy. And the condition was even worse than the uh, the video, which came out in 2001, the five line tapes. It's really crackly, juddery, really bad quality audio print of The Time Monster, episode four. And I suppose we take it for granted these days how good these episodes actually look. Because many archive TV of the time, you know, you, you don't get anywhere near as good quality as, as we do here. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's wizardry at its best, right? technological wizardry at its best. Is that a drinks cup they got in the background there? The doctor keeps his... Uh, his Private stash of booze in there. <clears throat> yeah, so you hear the doctor says, you know, Joe, you'll do as you're told, but it's, but it's kind of followed with a, you know, a, a more kind of gentle, you know, sort of contrition, I think, of the doctors, and it's reassurance that he will be all right, even though he won't be all right. But uh, well, well, no, in the in the long run, he will be. But that's, that's a nice moment, it, you know, kind of adds a little bit of gravitas to what's been a quite a lightweight episode. But I think they do botch the cliffhanger here. I think they really should have left it when um, Kronos actually swallows up the Doctor. I think I think that would have made for a much better cliffhanger than what we actually get. I think uh, that, that would have been a much more memorable hook to actually end the episode on rather than... Um, you know, the revelation of the Doctor's not actually dead. You know, he's just actually uh, floating about in time and space, uh, minding his own business. All or nothing, yeah. Master's been listening to too many small faces songs. <laughs> he's, a, he's a little more honest than the rest. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I don't think it's... Um, so much of a giant budgie. Maybe Paul uh, Paul Bernard actually learned a few things. It's more kind of blurred, you know, Kronos is more blurred here. And you, you don't really get to see him in his, uh, you know, sort of uh, flying around on the Kirby white. Yeah, should have had that, cut it there for the cliffhanger. They should have done that. Yes, it's more blurred for this. So um, I, I think maybe Barry lets have words with uh, Paul Bernard in between the, uh, the recording studio dates. But yes, this is a kind of a rather old coda that's kind of tacked onto the end of the episode, you know, with uh, the master speaking to Joan. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit B-movie, you know, sort of the baddie gloating over the, uh, the companion. And it's, uh, 
And of course, the revelation that the Doctor's not actually dead. He's just being, you know, he's, he's now in space. That, that would have been would have been better for the uh, the, the reprise, the, the beginning of the next episode. Excuse me, that coffee's coming back on me. Oh, God. Excuse me. All right. Well, to coin a phrase, living death. So, uh, yeah, that's what that's what Percival is suffering as well. Wicked. Not quite as painful as how utterly evil in the ultimate foe, but uh, it's a bit of a hokey put down. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, the, the ending of this episode is a little bit, a little bit naff because you get the, those wobbly uh, TARDISes disconnecting from each other and uh, a rather wonky zoom in, blurry zoom in into Joe on the scanner screen. And, uh, and dub it sounds like they're dubbing the master's laughter over. Yeah, it sounds like they dubbed the master's laughter over the original laughter track. I, I don't know why. It's like, <laughs> it's like multiple master laughs. I mean, you can't beat an evil laugh, don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit shoddy. And that the sting sounds a lot more crackly than usual. Um, don't know why. Who knows? But anyway, um, maybe we'll find out the answer in the, ex in the next episode. So, in the meantime, I uh, hope you can join me then. Uh, but in the meantime, this is me, John Bensalia, signing off from episode four of A Time Monster. And it's uh, goodbye from me. Goodbye for now. <laughs>